1: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Evan Sidery, Basketball News, is with us. You got your finger on the pulse of all that is going on prior to the trade deadline of the NBA?
2: Absolutely, John. Thanks again for the invite. It's going to be a very, very busy week, and Kyrie Irving
3: kicked it off yesterday.
1: So apparently there's a holdup in the Nets-Mavericks trade as evidently the Nets are trying to find a third participant in this deal. Know anything about it?
2: Yeah, it sounds like the Nets, they still want to win now, try to appease Kevin Durant, because obviously the rumors are swirling now about Kevin Durant possibly wanting out again from Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving now in Dallas. But I think the Nets might be trying to convince Kevin Durant to stay around long-term, use those picks they're getting from Dallas, maybe to parlay into a win-now player to help out for their chase for a championship this year, even though probably the odds now with Kyrie off the team are pretty long.
1: All right, so a third team. Any idea? Maybe somebody like Toronto? What do you think?
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, John, is Toronto, maybe an OG and an OB. I think the price would be a lot higher than just a couple of picks down the road. For a guy like OG, it sounds like the value for him is two or three first-round picks, a young player or two. I know he hasn't shown much in Toronto throughout his career as a star level player, but I think in a a better role, a more optimized role for OG, I think he'd actually be a really good player, a really good fit on a lot of teams, so... Maybe a name like that is what I keep an eye out for for that Brooklyn situation.
1: Evan Sidery, Basketball News, NBA Tread deadline approaches this week. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So tell me this, how do you think Kyrie and Luka will work together in Dallas? Offensively, I mean, it sounds like an upgrade, but that's a lot of basketball sharing, especially with one guy in Luka that's been there full time that doesn't really like to do that a lot.
2: Exactly. Offensively, it's going to be fantastic on some nights, John. You'll you'll see probably Luka and Kyrie have 40-plus points some nights, and they'll score 145 points. And you'll see everyone saying they won the trade. But I think, honestly, this a trade like this is a risk we're taking for Dallas. But defensively, they're going to be awful. I mean, they got rid of their best defender in Dorian Finney-Smith. Spencer Dinwiddie was a better defender than Kyrie Irving as well. You have Two or three awful defenders now in the starting lineup for Dallas with Christian Wood, Luka Doncic, and Kyrie Irving. So they'll score 130 a night. They'll probably get up 135 most nights on the defensive end there. So I think with Dallas and Luka Doncic, this is a team that was in desperation mode to really make a big move to see them get back to the West Conference Finals like they did last year. So I'm not surprised Dallas did this, but the fit on and off court is a little more questions than answer for me.
1: Clearly, you said, Evan, too, you don't think that uh, Dallas and Brooklyn right now are done. And one most common name that we hear regarding Dallas still is that of Christian Wood. You think he's moved?
2: I don't. Just because his expiring contract, I don't think expiring contracts are as valuable as they used to be a couple years ago especially with how the trade market is now where you'll need multiple picks, multiple young guys in most trades because how the Rudy Gobert trade from this past offseason with the value that Minnesota paid with the four first-round picks, multiple swaps, multiple young players, that really changed the entire trade market for players on multi-year contracts now. So, I do think Wood stays put. He actually makes a lot of sense for him offensively, but defensively is where I do have the questions there. But I'd say right now I lean towards he stays put in Dallas.
1: uh, Evan Sidery, Basketball News, NBA trade deadline and more with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You brought up OG Ananobi maybe as an outlier still to come if they added another team to this Nets and Mavericks trade situation. So beyond that, is he going to get moved, do you think, before the trade deadline?
2: There's too much smoke the past couple of weeks, John, for me to think that O.G. Ananobi isn't moved. Just that There's been rumors for, I think it's well over a year and a half now, that he's not been happy in Toronto. He's not happy with his role. He's not entering the last year of his contract beginning next season. So I think the time is now for the Raptors to get best value for O.G. Ananobi. If they do think he's going to leave, Toronto within the next 18 months, which it sounds like all indications are he will decline his player option and enter free agency in 2024. But whether it be Brooklyn and, and like if they want to expand that Kyrie trade or even a team like Indiana, John, I think OG and Inobi makes so much sense for so many teams. He's a great defender, one of the best wing defenders in the NBA, improving offensive player. He's only 25 years old still, so he's still in the prime of his career. I, like when we talk about the Pacers, they have a great rim protector, Miles Turner, you have great budding offensive players, and Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin. But the one thing that Indiana really is missing, in my opinion, is that elite shutdown wing defender. And on the market right now, there's not a better name for that than O.G. So I get the Pacers want to go after a name like that. He makes an awful lot of sense to me, too.
1: So just for S's and G's here, it's not like we're saying it's going to happen. But if it were to happen, for something like that to go down, what would be the purchase price for the Pacers to give up?
2: This, yeah, like you said, just hypothetically speaking here, just based off the value for what Toronto holds in OG and in OB, I would say probably two or three first-round picks, protections or not, I wouldn't know for sure on that, but two or three first-round picks and probably a young player in salary filler. So let's just say hypothetically Chris Duarte, Jalen Smith, and two or three first-round picks. W- would you do that, John?
1: Uh, I can't lie. i would think long and hard about it right now, yeah. I think long and hard about it because everybody, everybody around here gets a sports arousal anytime first round picks are mentioned. And and to me, with an already established player like that for an absolute need, um, I, yeah, I'd probably do it. The way that you, the way that you set that up, I would probably do it.
2: Yes. Yeah, I would too. Just because, well, the way this timeline of this team is, there's still, I would say. Two or three years away. Like, I know the Pacers are having a fantastic season so far, I think, in the win and the loss column, because they're having a great season already in the mid 20s in the win column, but they're still six in the reverse standings in the lottery ranking. So it's kind of the best of both worlds right now, where the Pacers can still win 30 or 30, 35 games and still maybe get a top five pick in this year's draft. And if you want to parlay some of the picks they got this past summer in various trades and future picks down the road, There's not a better guy for that to really help this team short and long term than OG Ananobi. Maybe even like a player, like hypothetically speaking, as well here, John, but maybe like John Collins, too, could be someone to to watch out for there, too.
1: I I think I would rather have Ananobi. I know people are going to say, well, he went to IU. It has nothing to do with that. Ananobi over Collins. But Collins is interesting. Collins has been described in Atlanta before as, um, well, short of at times a team killer you think that's the truth and is a different landscape for a guy like that a motivating factor that can can get him to be a a better player than he has been most recently in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I think it's more so Collins. We've seen it before early on in his career, before they really reshaped the roster in Atlanta around Trey Young. But in the early years with Trey Young and John Collins, he was fantastic as his pick-and-roll partner. I think the same thing could happen in Indiana with Tyrese Halliburton. He could also space the floor very well as the four there. And and the big difference between John Collins and OG and Anobi John as far as trade value goes, John Collins reported the Coordinated Athletic I read a week or two ago. The price is only maybe a first round pick or a couple second round picks and a couple young players. It's way different as far as trade value goes. For John Collins, again, this is hypothetically speaking for an example, but instead of, let's say, two or three first-round picks for and Ananobi plus a couple players, maybe you just pay one pick and one player instead for John Collins. So
1: do you think that John Collins is the type of player that gives a similar helper as a, a big wing player offensively and defensively, which clearly this Pacer team needs right now? Does Does he give that as much as Ananobi might?
2: I would say certainly defensively they're not close. I would have OG two or three tiers above John Collins as far as defense goes. Offense, though, I would actually say it's pretty close to equal just because John Collins has shown flashes before of being a 20-plus point-per-game scorer. He can play the four. He can play the five. He can play backup center as well if Miles Turner gets in foul trouble. He can go small ball and have him run pick-and-roll with Tyrese Halliburton. So. I like the fit there. I actually think it makes a lot of sense. But as far as offense goes, it's near equal to me. But defensively, that's where OG is a lot different.
1: So, Evan Sidery, Basketball News, you for many years covered Phoenix. Does it surprise you that a guy that we thought was going to be and was told he was going to be a part of the rotation here and as a starter, really, in Jalen Smith, has seemingly completely fallen out of the rotation as of late here in Indiana?
2: Yeah, it's honestly with the role that was played for him in Indiana, and that's why I was a little buyer beware with Jalen Smith as far as the role goes. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great backup center in the NBA, but that's where he is. I think he's a backup center long-term. Phoenix drafted Jalen Smith originally to be a power forward, a a starting power forward of the future, but he obviously couldn't play on the perimeter. He couldn't shoot as well as they expected, so he moved to backup five and backed up DeAndre eight for a couple years. Didn't get many minutes, asked for the trade out and went to Indiana. I think Indiana's just kind of realizing the same thing here, John, where he had a hot start last year as far as shooting goes, but he's more so a back of five than a four. He's a, a little bit slower as far as perimeter work goes, but he is a okay rim protector. He's a good shooter, but he's not going to give you much else right now. But he, he is, his contract, though, is not bad at all. It's only four or $5 million in a nice couple of years. It's definitely manageable for a backup big. But I think the Pacers maybe realized here he's more so of a reserve guy than a long-term starter.
1: So, Chris Paul, Get irritated at all about being mentioned in rumors regarding Phoenix trying to get Kyrie Irving?
2: It sounds like, according to people out in Phoenix, he is not, like, too disconcerted about that. From quotes I've seen from his practice today. But, I mean, for a player like Chris Paul's stature to be thrown in rumors like that, I wouldn't be surprised he's a little ticked off by that. But for the Suns, I mean, their window's right now with Chris Paul. He hasn't done great at all this year. So I'm honestly not surprised at all. They made a move for Kyrie Irving there because the current core of the Suns team, it's going to get really expensive in the next couple of years, and, and the time to go win a championship is probably the next year or two.
1: All right, Evan, before I let you go, any other names we should watch out for coming up here before the Thursday NBA trade deadline?
2: Yeah, I would certainly keep an eye. We've mentioned him multiple times already, but Toronto with OG Obi, Fred Van Vliet as well as really hot out there in rumors. Keep an eye on Pascal Siakam as well if they really want to – Completely tear down that tire thing in Toronto. Keep an eye on John Collins, too, in Atlanta. The Lakers, too. You expect them to make a move or two. The Mavericks, too. Uh, There's going to be a lot of teams out there. They're going to be trying to find win now pieces. But there's actually not a lot of teams selling because there's so many teams in contention this year. So, it's going to be a really interesting deadline now with the first domino set off with Kyrie Irving. That's
1: Evan Sidery basketball news. Um, Keep us updated, too. If you get anything interesting, we'll uh, grab you back before that trade deadline Thursday.
2: Absolutely, John. I appreciate it, as always.
3: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites.
1: Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline now. So, some discussion regarding I use Win and storming the floor. Where do you reside, opinion-wise about that?
3: Man, I'm all for kids having fun, but I saw a tweet out there that said it would have been a huge, huge sign of disrespect if IU didn't storm the floor against the number one team in the nation who they've beaten two years in a row at home. So I can see both sides, man. I hate to be that old guy that says don't storm the floor. I want the kids to have fun. But look, you're Indiana. You're a good team. You should expect to beat everybody at home.
1: Yeah, but they don't. Though I mean, especially the generation okay, now. Yeah, they they don't really expect to beat anybody anymore. So I think that's that's part of it. But not the largest part, Zach. The largest part is uh the kids of this generation want to have fun and maybe they're liquored up but you know so were we uh we were liquored up too doesn't really matter that's the same thing but they want to have fun and they're looking for a good selfie TikTok viral type of moment on the floor so that's it's just generationally different now than it ever has been and you know you can't start a little bit with a lack of recognition of how it used to be but not a lot of kids their age are going to be uh recognized of that because it's been so long ago
3: you know, I was there from 0-4 to 0-8, and yeah. I don't think the students rushed the floor one time. Now there were some up and down years. It was two years of Mike Davis, and it was two years of Kevin Sampson. But I I teach a class down there in the spring, and I got about 14 kids in my class. And I asked them Thursday. I said, "If if Indiana wins, what are the chances they rush the floor?" And they said, "There's there's no way they don't rush the floor." They said 100 oh, yeah. percent. Right. And I said, "You're probably right." And you could tell with with a minute to go once. Once Huchacino made that layup, it was going to happen. So I got no problem with it. Have fun. Like you said, Kilroy's made a killing, I'm sure, on Friday, Friday night. So it's good. It's good to see any. Oh, man, you know. let
1: me tell you this. Kilroy's and Knicks got a double dose. They got it pre and post. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah,
3: it, it, it's, a, it's almost like the perfect tip-off time, too. Like 4 oh, o'clock, yeah. right? Yeah. You can go there in the morning, and there's still plenty, plenty of time in the evening. And, and I'm sure a couple of my students – Probably didn't even make it to the evening session at Rice, but um, that's good, and it's going to be a fun one in Mac in a couple weeks, too, because, man, Purdue's really good, too.
1: Sneak in a little bit of a power nap right there, and you're good to go. Zach Kiefer telling it like it is from the Athletic on the Andy Moore here for. Automotive Group Hotline. All right, so that report out there that Gus Bradley has been blocked by the Colts pursuing... Uh, um, a lateral move coaching wise is that saying that whomever the Colts end up hiring here in this hiring cycle at some point here don't hold your breath would they want him back moving
3: forward yeah i think they do um it's it's my understanding that up to as many as four candidates for this job have said they want to keep Gus Bradley's defensive staff so um that's that's sort of the expectation look it makes sense on a lot of levels right i don't think I think everybody out there would agree that defense was not the issue this year. There were certainly things they wanted to get better at late. They didn't finish some games, but they didn't have 53 either. And so, um, you know, my understanding is that multiple coaching candidates for the head coaching job have gone in there and said, I want to keep Gus Bradley's staff intact, including him as a defensive coordinator.
1: Uh, did you mention Bubba Ventrone in there too? Is that another? that I, I mean, there's no report that he's been blocked, but is that somebody else that, that they want to keep regardless who the next head coach is?
3: Yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but I will say this. I think Bubba's a really, really good coach, and I think him and Ballard have a very tight relationship. Now, they still go at it from time to time disagreeing about personnel, right? That can get tricky with you know, Bubba wanting a couple guys on the roster for the 53 and Ballard wanting something else, but there's a lot of respect there. He was the very first candidate they interviewed for the head coaching job. I think that's a total real possibility that they keep him on. Um, As special teams coordinator, I think he's really good at his job, and I think the players really, really respect Bubba. Remember, he was the guy that they wanted to be the interim coach after Frank Reich was fired.
1: Zach Kiefer of The Athletic with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group potline. So do you buy the Vegas odds that have Wink? But I've been saying, like, Wink for Wink right now moving forward. Do you buy those odds as, logically speaking, could turn into reality?
3: I don't buy any odds, man. I don't buy anything I'm hearing out there. You know this franchise, man. You know this organization. They are keeping things tight to the vest. I mean, the owner's retweeting Joey Milanero's video. You know, I don't know what to believe, but um, I I don't think Wink is going to be the answer in the long term. I've been wrong before, but I, I just don't see it. He's an older coach. He's a defensive coach. I just don't feel like it's the right move for this franchise for the next five or six years. Would be happy to eat my words if I'm wrong. I feel like at this point, they finished up their second round of interviews on Saturday with Shane Steichen in Philadelphia, and they sort of started to – they wanted to regroup and sort of see where they're at um, and decide if they want to do a third round or decide to pull the trigger after a month into this coaching search. And I feel like Steichen and Brian Callahan and Raheem Morris – And Aaron Glenn had a good interview last week as well. I feel like those are sort of the four or five that I'm looking at. But, again, this is something they're keeping really, really tight to the vest. I'd be wary of any Vegas odds out there, and I'd be wary of any leaks because, um, as we know in this town, nothing's official until it's officially official. So,
1: odds maker-wise, I'm not trying to ask you to get in their head or explain, but why, why would they suggest at this point that Wink would be a favorite?
3: Well, I saw a report from a Giants writer who said things went really well with Wink. Uh, I can't confirm that. I didn't hear that. But I Sounds like we like need to put can...
1: that on a sign around here. Things go right. well with Wink. Yes.
3: Yeah, sure, sure. And, I, dude, apparently this guy is a little bit like Bruce Arians. He says what he thinks, and that can turn some teams off and other teams like that. And, and, look, I think Ballard, one of the questions Ballard has asked these guys is to evaluate this team right now. And one of the questions these candidates have asked Ballard is, how did you go from a team that was 9-6 and last year after Arizona to where you are right now, 4-12-1, and for the most part an abject disaster? And I think Wink, maybe more so than the other candidates, just says what he thinks. He calls it like he sees it, and he tells you where the personnel holes are, he tells you where the draft misses are, and he tells you where you're not getting it done. And Look, I think Chris Ballard, I think we know of all the things about him that we know, He's a guy that likes it when it's just shot straight to him, right? And I think that would probably play pretty well to him. And and Wink's done a really good job in New York in that one year. He did a really good job in Baltimore. I think he had a top-five defense three out of five years under John Harbaugh. So there's a lot to like there, but it would be a little bit of an out-of-the-box hire, I think.
1: Do you think at any point with the feedback you get from Colts fans, and I've mentioned this, the longer that it goes, and no doubt that's going to have an effect on coaches and where they end up getting gigs if they're not retained and that part of it is tough the business aspect of it we know with its lengthy decision but i think most people out there are upset about the length because either way if they would have hastily made a selection or the fact that they're going as long as they are that is the level of belief that the fans have in this organization to make the right call right now i think that is to me the overwhelming reason as to why people have been negative about this
3: you don't think they would have faith either way if it was. A, I don't. I, I, was think, yeah, right. I, I think. I think they, they're going they to find. They're going to find
1: flaws in decision making and this process until they learn and watch this team play, and it's finally good again. And that's that's going to be the proof. And they're not going to have. I don't think really. They're not going to have the court of public opinion from the fan base around here until the fans see proof of that. That's just how I feel it is.
3: John, I'll be honest. I'm I'm completely on their side. I completely understand. I think that's totally fair. The last time this team went through a coaching search, they hired a guy who walked away, and then they hired Frank Reich, and and, and four years later they're doing this again. They've interviewed 13 candidates, and they've sat down a total of 21 times, and they're not ruling out a third round. And my question to that is, what are you going to learn in a third-round interview that you haven't learned When you sat down with these guys for a total of up to 15 or 16 hours, right? Like, when's the last time you sat down with anybody for 11 or 12 hours in person? My God, like, what is left after that? And this fan base should be skeptical because they made a ridiculous move in the middle of the season. They hired an ESPN analyst to coach the team. They brought him in for two interviews over a couple other candidates that were more qualified. And and they just they haven't been in sync for two or three years. The GM has screwed up the offensive line that used to be one of the best in football. They've gone on this QB carousel where they can't find an answer. Keep thinking they keep thinking that they're close and they're not. And some of their best players have regressed. So absolutely I understand the fans that are gonna be skeptical of this decision. But on the alternative side, look, they're being thorough, they're not rushing into anything. And we're not going to know if this is the right decision when they announce it. We're not going to know in the next five months after the draft when they get this quarterback. We're not going to know until two or three years in when you still start to really see if this was the right move. Um, But they're going through the process. They haven't really lost out on a candidate they really, I think, would have gotten. You can maybe argue D'Amico Ryans, but I think he was going to go to Houston. And I think the Colts knew that. And I don't think they were going to get a Harbaugh or a Sean Payton. So. To their credit, they haven't really missed out on some of their top candidates. Now, whether those guys are going to be the guys that turn the franchise around, that's going to be the fun part. We're going to have to find out. But to, to piggyback on your point, like the one thing they can't do to really lose the franchise is, is hire Jeff Saturday. I just, that's the overwhelming sense that I get from fans is anybody but Saturday. I don't think it's going to happen. I've reported that. But again, you know who owns the team. You know who's making the final decision. I'm not ruling anything
1: out. I was told a couple of weeks ago, and I, I may have mentioned this to you, and I've kind of mentioned it in passing because it is nothing but a rumor, but I was told that that Jeff understood two weeks ago that he was not going to be the guy and was resigned with that fact and also the fact that he really didn't want to move forward as the coach anyway with Chris Ballard remaining the general manager. you think there's any truth to that rumor?
3: So I've heard a little bit of the first part. I've heard a little bit of they've moved on from him as a candidate. Now, that's not hard, solid, rock-hard information that I can report, but that's the sense that I got from a couple people that are familiar with the search. I did not hear the part about he didn't want to move forward with Chris Ballard. Well, I don't well, he understand. wasn't going to get the
1: option, but he did not. That, yeah, he didn't think right. that was going to be in his best right. interest, yeah.
3: Well, maybe he can look for a better GM with his other head coaching offers that he has on the table, right? I mean, it's a little—it's—it's just a little odd to me that it was head coach or bust for Jeff Saturday without any of the background that a lot of these coaches come in with. But that's what the owner created.
1: That's what the owner created.
3: Yeah, yeah. And this is this is. Look, I said this since November fifth when they hired where they fired Frank. This is the bet they've made. It's so it's so abnormal. It's so out of the realm of like normal protocols with this league that they're going to have to live with that. They're going to have to sleep in that bed and it's going to be messy. And and, and I don't don't think this hurts Jeff's Saturday's legacy in this town. He's one of the best players they've ever had. He's a great dude. He's a good dude to be around. But um, the, the fact that it was either head coach or bus, just that's just strange to me. Like what's wrong with what's wrong with being an offensive line coach and fixing a problem that needs to be fixed in this town. But, yeah, I heard a little bit of of the former with with what you heard, that they kind of moved on from him about a week ago as a candidate.
1: I just – I don't blame him for this. I mean, obviously, with the way the team went, okay. But it very well could have gone that way regardless of who was brought in here on an interim basis. And for him to want that gig after being given that gig and doing what he was doing at ESPN and then not wanting to settle for something else, I don't blame him at all, Zach. Not a bit.
3: Yeah, I I just can't square the two statements we heard. The first statement was when he was hired, and he said, look, I'm going to be judged on wins and losses. That's what I'm going to be judged on. That's what I was brought in for. We're not tanking. And then after one win and seven consecutive losses, some of that's in historic fashion, it was, well, throw out the record. I had his old coaching staff. I lost a couple coaches. You know, that's not really important. If I get it to do it my own way, it'll be different. And, and maybe he's right, but I just didn't like how that was, it was one stance early and one stance late. And obviously the the telling quote was, I might be terrible at this, and if I'm terrible, I'll say thank you at the end. You know, objectively, he was pretty terrible. This team was pretty terrible down the stretch. They were not even competitive against the Giants and the Chargers. They had historic collapses against Dallas and Minnesota. They couldn't even beat the frickin' Texans in Week 18. Um, and then and then it was the next day it was, I want this job, and I feel like I'm the best guy for this job. And that's a little bit where I had an issue with it. It was just such a different stance than he had eight weeks earlier. But, again, I think he's coming from the right place and that he – really cares about this place, and he really wants to help and make it better. But I just don't think, at the end of the day, he's going to be the guy that gets
1: it. So Zach for The Athletic, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I would also disagree with you on another point. I think it has hurt his image here. I think moving forward, and this is unfortunate, moving forward, that most people around here will now remember him for his interim coaching stint and how a majority of the Colts fans did not want him at all to return to the point where some of these knuckleheads decided to cobble together a petition to send to Jim (laughs) Arce. I think that will be more of his reputation here, unfortunately, than what he established as a player, and I think that's a damn shame.
3: I don't agree with that. I think people have short-term memories. I think people will move on fast, especially if they get the right coach. I think it'll be something people laugh about, because of how ridiculous it was, I mean, to hire a working TV analyst to come in in the middle of the season. Like, just think about that sentence I just said. It's just its just bizarre, even for this franchise. Um, I think it'll fade away, and I think people will move on if this team gets it right. And you've got to get it right at head coach and quarterback. But I think it'll be a small, small mention in his Colts bio, but... But he he did too much good in this city, too many games won um, to where that gets pushed aside for these miserable, miserable eight weeks of the season.
1: So we're on Super Bowl week now, so there's no way a coaching hire is going to be leaked or announced or anything like that prior to Sunday, right? So what are we talking about next week?
3: I'm not so sure about that. I know the league frowns upon that, but I wouldn't be stunned if something leaked out. I'd probably put it at fifty-fifty. But if it's Steichen, obviously they can only come to a- agreement at this point, and they can't really announce a hire until next week. But again, we know how that works in the past when you give a coach a couple extra days. I don't. I don't expect that to happen again, but. At this point we've gone four weeks. Why not go six, right? Why not just push it to the combine? I mean, do you maybe think they'll that's the only reason the
0: draft. that's the only
1: reason why nothing's been announced because Steichen is the guy?
3: No, I don't. I don't I don't think so. I don't know if he's the guy. Um but that's that's not the reason this hasn't been announced. That's my gut feeling. Wink for wink. I kinda like the wink for wink thing. He sounds like a great quote, man. Bring him in. He sounds fun. Just call it like he sees it. I, I don't want any more sugar coating. I want I want I want the truth, man. I'm kind of caught
1: between wanting an older crusty man, but I wanted somebody with a little bit of head coaching experience. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can go ahead and sell the head coaching experience for another layer of crust, which I think he has. I like it.
3: You know who i've heard really really good things about is brian callahan and and i know he's young but he's the son of a former head, head coach in the nfl and that matters a little bit and he worked with peyton manning and matthew stafford and now he's doing great things with joe burrow and he doesn't call the plays in cincy but i've heard a lot of good things about sort of behind the scenes what he's done to help lift that franchise and look zach taylor gets a lot of credit and burrow gets a ton of credit because he's a stud but But I've heard a lot of good things about Brian Callahan. And if you're going to bring in a rookie quarterback, you want a guy, you want to marry that quarterback with a really good offensive mind. I still think that's a really smart play. If you get the right guy, that wins in this league. I've done the research. It really does win in this league. You've got to get the right guy. Nathaniel Hackett is a good example of not getting the right guy in Denver. But I feel like that's still a really strong pull. And so the two offensive guys left are Steichen and Callahan. And I know a lot of people are maybe overlooking Callahan, but I feel like there's a lot to the table there. So we'll see what happens. But, look, they've won a lot in, in Cincinnati the last two years, and that's essentially what the culture are looking to do. Draft a stud really high in the draft and really turn around the franchise very quickly.
1: So Zach Moss, and now we've learned a fifth-round pick for Naheem Hines. That seemed pretty good to you?
3: <laughs> it depends what you do with it. And Zach Moss, he ran pretty good late. Yeah, I mean, that, he didn't look bad, yeah. You know, we were talking about draft needs the other day, and I said – I haven't even thought past the first pick. I haven't even thought past quarterback, but of the draft needs running back probably isn't very high on the list. So you feel pretty good about Zach Moss and then use that fifth round pick to go get, gosh, I don't know, pick a spot on the defense or pick a spot on the offensive line.
1: You know, the thing about Naheem Hines, I sit around here all the time or did and, and talk about how he's underutilized and such and how somebody else would. And then he goes to Buffalo and other than those two special teams plays was probably even more underutilized there than he was here. What do you think gives? Am I just uh, overblown in my expectations for him?
3: No, he's a hard player to really – Define right? Because he's not an every down guy, and he's more of a receiver sometimes than a running back, but I also don't love Buffalo's offense. I think it's overly relying on Josh Allen, and you're really their only stud weapon is digs. I mean, Knox is good too, but when the, when the trade happened, I was happy for Naheem because he's going to a winning team that I thought might win the Super Bowl, but secondly, it's like where do they carve out spots for him? Because Singletary gets a pretty big amount of their carries, and they're leading rusher, if I'm not wrong, is, is, is Allen himself. So, um, I, I, you know, Frank Wright couldn't figure it out. He said everybody needs to go draft Naheem in fantasy last spring. And then, you know, six or seven weeks in the season, Naheem's agent is, is requesting a trade before that Washington game. So, um, I don't know where he's going to find an offense where he gets a ton of snaps and a ton of carries, but. 2020 might have been his best year because he was a really good weapon that year, really before JT really took off. Man,
1: when you look back on his extension and what he got paid, how do you think Ballard did with that in terms of him being here? Are you still there? Did I lose Zach?
3: All right, I can hear you now. Sorry about that.
1: Sorry about that. Yeah, one, one final quick one here. Looking back on that extension he got, um and now you know compared to i guess production wise and now we've seen again a layer of that with another team um how overpaid did he get in terms of production beginning with that colt's contract from ballard
3: i'll tell you this it's a good job by the agent right i want to say three years 21 million um that's good money for just about any running back in the league unless you're a real real superstar and he's he's not a superstar but you know, on that front, yeah, that, that's a good deal for the player, and that's not a great deal for the team. They did offload that contract, obviously, when they traded him right. to Buffalo. But I asked Ballard point blank, do, "Do you pay a running back right now?" And I know who their running back is, and I know he's an absolute stud. And and he didn't hesitate. They're gonna they're gonna pay Jonathan Taylor. They're gonna keep him. Ballard's philosophy hasn't changed. You pay your best players, and you know that makes a left guard and an off-ball linebacker. Although Darius's role has shifted a little bit, and a running back is some of your best players. You still need to find. You still need to find really good left tackles and really good edge rushers and a really good quarterback in this league to win because every team that's in in the playoffs this past season, they have those pieces, and the Colts really don't right now.
1: You said something really interesting in closing that his philosophy, he being Chris Ballard, his philosophies haven't changed. Well, many of them better sure as hell be adjusted, don't you believe? (laughs) I mean, right. they, they they better be adjusted. I'm not necessarily talking about Jonathan Taylor, although I think a debate can be had, and I'm sure we will, about that very issue. But I don't want to see the same guy over the past six years with his philosophy going into year seven. And I think a lot of people would be on board with me in agreement.
3: No, I'm totally with you. And, and let me clarify, that philosophy was specifically tied to what we were talking about, sure. with pain. Paying your best players. And I don't think anybody argued when they paid Shaq Leonard what they did and when they paid Jonathan Taylor, which they will. Um, look, we, we pressed him on this on January 10th when we sat down with the general manager. And we pressed him hard because you're dead right, man. Like, this philosophy hasn't worked. It's failed. Those are the first two words that came out of his mouth when we met. It was, look, I failed. And his philosophy has failed. And they need, to, they need to amend that at the very least, if not blow it up altogether. Um, whether that's spending some money in free agency or or being stingy in the draft or you know, they've only had two first round picks in six years. Like what wins games in this league? Studs win games. Like every player is really good, but the top three or four on every team, those are the guys that win games. The Colts don't have enough of those and they don't have enough of those at the difference making position. So look I'm dead with you on that and, and, and that needs to be that needs to be altered. That vision, that approach, that philosophy. It needs to be altered, and you can still be all in on the fronts. You can still be all in offensive, defensive line, but it almost seems like Bowd has tried to win in spite of the quarterback or he's tried to prove that this team can win without an elite quarterback, and there's a lot of context that goes into that. It's not like they've had a top pick, but it's time to stop thinking like that, and it's time to make this about the quarterback because there's nothing this team does that's going to be more important for the next five or ten years than this draft pick that's coming up whether it's at number four or number one in, in April, you need to get this right. And then you need to surround this guy with the right approach and the right philosophy moving forward so he can succeed. Because he's not going to be a slam dunk from the start. He's not going to be Andrew Luck. He's not going to be Peyton Manning. Like You need to put the pieces around him, which is why Payne Taylor is probably a good idea and Payne Pittman is probably a good idea to help him. But secondly, and this is probably the most important part, you can't trot out the offensive line that you had last year and put a rookie back there because that kid will get killed. Like, you need to fix that offensive line as much as you can, and and that might mean veering away from the approach that has failed, for the most part, the last couple years.
1: And let's face it, too, Chris Ballard has felt that he was the smartest person in the room in terms of these philosophies, and he hasn't been. That's just true. I mean, he, he thought, you know, when everybody else is going a different direction, he's going this direction. And he's always played this like he's the smartest guy in the room and he hasn't been. And if you don't adjust, then to me you continue to prove that you're not.
3: Yeah, and, and look at the last two teams to make the Super Bowl from the NFC. Teams that went out it Philadelphia, as aggressive as anybody in terms of trade, free agency, moving up in the draft, going balls in, like like these like last year's team in, in the NFC, like the Rams, like they went all in for years. Like that has worked. And that is the literal opposite of how the Colts have tried to build. Now, there are certain things that Ballard has done that, that has done well, right? They, You know, early on, they built the trenches up. And if the quarterback hadn't retired, they would have probably been pretty good there for a while. But you look the last couple of years, aggression has paid. And Kansas City is not, is not out of that equation either. They've been aggressive as well. They've gone out and literally blew up their offensive line a couple of years ago after that Super Bowl loss to the Bucks. And retooled the entire unit. And that might seem like a drastic move, but when you got Mahomes, you gotta do drastic things to keep him upright. So, you know, that those moves have paid off. And and you're right, like Bower's approach, stingy, has paid off in some respects, but in the most part, it's blown up in his face. And I think I think that's a hard reality he's had to swallow the last couple of months watching a really bad football team. And and this is one of the most telling quotes he gave to us on January tenth. He said, Look, I've fired myself fifty times this year. Well, I think the fans did as well. He kept his job, but now he needs to approach this in a different way and maybe admit that his approach hasn't worked and it's time to do things a little bit different.
1: Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What's new in what you're riding? What can people read?
3: You you see any smoke out there? You see any white smoke coming from the rafters or (laughs) a lot of lucas oil or the Ursae estate? Man, I'm just waiting. Um, I do have a cool story coming tomorrow. The – State of the Union is tomorrow night. I don't usually write about politics, but Pay is going to be a guest of a congressman from his home state of Rhode Island. A lot of people know Quiddy's story is really remarkable. He was born in a refugee camp in West Africa. So for him to be able to go to that is a really, really cool moment for him. So a little break from the coaching search, but at this point, they need to pull the trigger. They need to hire someone so the rest of us can move on with our life and figure out where this franchise is going.
1: He is Zach Kiefer of the Athletic of the Anymore Automotive Group Hotline. Always a pleasure, man. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, John. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline covers the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. Dustin DiPurek joins us. Before I dive into the presence with the team that practiced a little bit earlier today... All this stuff that it came out as of yesterday, I think a little bit before the Pacers played at home yesterday against Cleveland regarding what had taken place uh, as of yesterday, a week prior after the game in Memphis. Now, a little background here, Dustin. I had Miles on, Miles Turner of the Pacers, after he signed that. And I made reference to the back and forth that his teammates had with uh, T. Morant and that other idiot that's also a part of this too, his friend, the pack guy or whatever, um, where where that pack guy walked out onto the floor to what Mm -hmm. it looked like confront Chris Duarte during the game. And apparently things got even worse reportedly after that game last Sunday.
4: Yeah, no. Obviously, uh, first kudos to the Athletic for uh, for all their reporting on this story. They were one of the ones that had it, uh, Sam Mamick and Bob Kravitz. So you know, uh, you know, they were obviously ahead of this. So we were kind of scrambling yesterday. Uh, all of us, basically, everybody was covering the game, was scrambling looking for something to get confirmation on what went down. Um, and yeah, no, I mean it. it it seems like obviously it seems like it escalated uh you know the nba confirmed that there was an investigation basically they, they could confirm that there was a confrontation uh that happened i guess by the uh the loading dock by the buses um but they weren't able to confirm some of the other details basically that the uh members of the travel party that were confronted that, that talked to the athletic uh anonymously because they were they feared repercussions rep, or, um yeah basically they, they felt that People, you know, those people were going to come after them. Um, but they weren't able to confirm this, you know, basically the, the story of there being a weapon. They weren't able to corro- corroborate that. Obviously, it, you would think it would be difficult to corroborate even if they saw it. Uh, you know, they were, it would be hard to find corroborating evidence, you know, I guess there's mention of, like, security video, but I could see a scenario where it would be, you know, uh, where do you put cameras in a loading dock? Are you guaranteed to be able to see somebody uh, pointing a gun out of a car? Would that be a guarantee of a thing that you could see? And I don't think that it would be. Um, so uh, they obviously did some investigation, but basically said they weren't able to, to confirm or deny, um, you know, some of the allegations that were being made uh, either way. So it doesn't seem like it's going to progress much further from here. But obviously, you know, the, the story that, uh, that is being alleged is a really concern story uh, it basically it's that um, it's you know e- even if what even if there's not a weapon even if they're going to confront people after games and you know just just messing with people that apparently doesn't even sound like they were players uh, necessarily obviously the players themselves mal Turner was asked about it um, yesterday, and Rick Carlisle was asked about it yesterday uh, after the game, and they both said they weren't there. Um, so, and the Pacers are a pretty fast-changing team. So, if they weren't there, it must have happened pretty soon, you know, after yeah. the game. And those, those guys get moving out of there. I think faster maybe than any any other team in the NBA. You know, if, if you want to interview Pacers players after a game, you got to be quick. And you know, the rest of the league kind of it takes its time more so. So, if if, if nobody was out of the bus, uh, you know, that means it had to be pretty early in the process. So these guys were just sort of making. A point to make trouble, and also it seems like making a point to make trouble with guys who weren't necessarily players, um, you know, with people at least that weren't necessarily players. So that's just uh, kind of an odd and concerning thing. Obviously, John Morant, I think, commented on it on his Twitter account and said that uh, he basically just, you know, tried to shoot it down and said it, it's not true and it's not fair that his uh, buddy got, you know, I guess suspended from games or whatever. Um, well,
1: I so, mean, his, his buddy looks
4: yeah. like a complete jackass.
1: I mean, he just does. He uh, walked
4: they, out onto the floor.
1: To try to confront somebody. So he shouldn't be, even with that, he should not be allowed back in an NBA No,
4: Exactly. Like, if if you're not in the game, uh, your presence isn't needed in those discussions. I mean, Ja can handle himself, I think. He's a grown man. Um, And if, you know, if he and Duarte are going back and forth, I mean, I I don't think he needs a bodyguard. And he's got big guys on his team that can. Yeah, I mean,
1: Dylan Brooks can go out there and hit somebody in the nuts. They got him covered. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Exactly. No can do that, and they've still got you know Stephen Adams on their team. Like they've got options if if he wants guys who want to uh, you know step in for him. I mean, I'm sure he can fight his own battles. First off, he's you know pretty tough, strong, and talented guy to start with. And uh, if he doesn't want to you know bruise his own knuckles, he's got somebody else that could do it. So yeah, I, I don't think you need to come out of your front row seat and make a problem. It doesn't seem necessary.
1: A couple of things I'm curious about. Then we'll move on to the Pacers on the floor. Um, it, It was a laser pointer dot that was actually on a member. Or the Pacers traveling party, and you mentioned the security guard earlier. Are those security guards that the Pacers bring, or security guards provided by the NBA on site that are, are locally provided, do you know?
4: Yeah, that stuff we don't. That stuff we don't know. Um, that, that I mean, obviously, said, like I, I'd be just going off the athletics reporting here. I mean, they said Pacers security guard, and I'm not totally sure um, if, if if they were arena security guard, if they were NBA security guard, if there was something from uh, that was specific from the team. I mean, Like as far you know, like I obviously cover some of these games on the road. I wasn't at this trip. Yeah. Um. But you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of who is all with them. And you usually the security guards you see in the hallway are generally building security. Um. You know, it's like the guys that you see outside the locker room at Gainbridge are not the same people that you see outside at at other places. It's not like, uh. You know, they. they, I'm I'm sure. I I wouldn't be surprised if there are also traveling dudes, but I I don't know them off the top of my head. Um. You know, I got like I, I know they're clubhouse guy, you know, see their clubhouse guys. I'm not like asking like we're like best buddies or whatever, but like, I mean, you see the same, clubhouse folks and, you know, training staff and coaches and stuff like that, I don't know that I can point to a guy that I would say, well, there's the Pacers security guard who's always there. There just seems to always be building security, um, you know, at the different places. You see the same people at Gainbridge every night, you know, and that sort of thing. But it seems like the people that you usually see at other arenas are people that are stationed there. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it, again, it wouldn't surprise me if there is specific Pacers people. So, you know, that, that part was, you know, kind of fuzzy from my end. Obviously, the athletic reported it out well, so I'm not trying to, you know, take any shots that they're reporting or anything like that. But uh, I I, I don't know, you know, myself. But that's obviously a very interesting piece of the thing um, because they're basically quoting the travel parties that were threatened as saying that a security guard said it, Um, not necessarily, you know, quoting. I don't think they talked to the security guard himself as far as. I could tell it wasn't, you know, 100% clear there. Um, that at least that, that's that's what I read uh, right. out of the reporting. Right. Um, so I'm not totally sure, but that's what they see. It's, it, it, basically, it's there was there was a laser and there was the you know somebody saying that the security guard said, quote, it's 100% a gun is, I think, what, what I read. Again, that's the athletic yeah, report.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dustin DePurek joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll move away from that. Um, nice. I was talking to Evan Sidery, Basketball News, who covers the NBA, and we were talking about trades, things of that nature. You, you expect any, any ripple at all from the Pacers coming up as we approach that Thursday trade deadline or all quiet around here?
4: I mean, it's possible they could do something. I mean, I think there's there's several options. I uh, mean, you know, I wrote about it about it today. Obviously, you know, there's still some big. Flash opportunities on the board if they're willing to take some risks and throw some stuff out there. I mean, it basically if if, if they're willing to move healed and they want to throw some draft picks in with that, uh, they can go after some things that they want to, and they can get into or at least make a play at some of the more um, uh, you you know uh, coveted players, I guess, left on the board. Uh, you know, they, they can obviously take some chances now. I don't know if that's going to be enough um, for what the teams want if they want to throw you know somebody at, at an OG and an Obi if they want to throw something. At uh, you know John Collins, I mean, I have my doubts in both of those cases. I don't know that they want to go big, and and Kevin Pritchard's is not talking like a guy who wants to go big. I mean, we were obviously able to talk to him at the at the Turner signing, um, and he definitely just he, he told us a, a bunch of times he really likes where they're at. He really likes the roster, um, and even going up to Heald said, you know, basically, I feel like he's part of something. He's, his phrasing was interesting. He said, "I'm not sure what yet, but he's part of something." Um, so I think what what he's trying to say there is he feels like Buddy fits. Pretty Pretty specifically with this group, obviously it helps that he and Tyrese are really close. They seem to have a great chemistry. It seems to be bringing a lot out of Buddy. And it seems like he helped. It helps Tyrese to have a really knockdown shooter, uh, you know, to space the floor, and makes things easier for Miles Turner, and even makes things easier for Benedict in a little bit. Uh, and so that's their most valuable piece. And if they're not going to move him, then obviously that lowers the ceiling on what they're capable of getting. I mean, it does sound like they would be willing to move at least one of their first round draft picks because I don't think they want to bring in too many rookies at once uh, for this group. So I think they'd be willing to part with a first round pick for something. Um, but I don't know that that gets you into to, you know, that category of getting, uh, you know, among those top players. So, I mean, I think maybe somebody that's a little bit more mid-range, they might be uh, able and willing to pursue for something like that. But it's totally quite possible that it could be pretty quiet. I, I mean, I wouldn't be so- shocked to see some kind of small, fringy moves. You know, maybe, you know, I, I think, you know, if-, if they can move Goga Batadze, they probably would just because they're having a hard time finding uh, even the beginning of the playing time for him. They're having a hard enough time to get Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith on the floor, uh, you know, with Daniel Tice now added to the mix. Uh, uh, I guess it wouldn't shock me to move Tice either if they thought they could turn him into something. Uh, obviously, he's looked okay, I guess, uh, you know, coming off of his knee injury. Yeah, it's I like said
1: a little back bit back. earlier today, it looks like he, on that high ball screen action offensively, needs a map right now. He, he doesn't feels, really know yeah, where he's going.
4: doesn't have a great sense of it, and obviously. No. He's throwing him into a system, but, you know, when he, when he gets to a body, he can hit it pretty hard. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, he can do but, that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you're running into Daniel Tyson, and he's trying to screen you, that that is a hard man to get around. And when he hits you, you're going to feel it the next morning and probably the day after that. Um, so yeah, like I, there, there's obviously I think some value for him on this team. I think they, it, it, you know, having a wide body is, is something they have not had, and it's made it's caused them I think some problems on the on the rebounding end when they've gone against uh, teams that have some wider bodied, you know, sort of muscular you know, centers and, and big power forwards. Uh, they've been missing something, and, and he gives them kind of a matchup for that. Um, but it's really hard to kind of, pat, you know, just sort of spread out those maybe 18 minutes a night uh, at backup center when Miles Turner is not on the floor. You know, they have two 22-year-old kids, you know, 22-year-old kid and 21-year-old kid in Smith and Jackson uh, that they want to see more more from that aren't getting a ton of minutes right now. Uh, so uh, but that's the, that's
1: the coach, though. Isn't that Rick? I mean, Rick's gone oh, yeah. small. Rick, Rick has gone small. Sure. And really, inexplicably, yesterday went small, and and I, and they still they took a beating from three-point land uh, with the guards being in there and then took a beating down low going small like that. Yesterday, it was tough for me to understand exactly what the hell was going on, and maybe you can even further explain why Jalen Smith is falling off the face of the earth in terms of the Pacers and yeah, rotational made, minutes.
4: I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they made this sort of a, a big-picture move to to go smaller, Uh, basically. I I think they felt like even though they were smaller, they were more physical. It it really was moving Aaron Neesmith into the starting lineup, and they really feel like Andrew, Aaron Niesmith Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nemhard are the best two defenders. And, you know, they, they, they think Nismith gives them a good opportunity against bigger wings and, you know, sort of, uh, inside, outside power forwards. So they, they like what he gives them. They like that. The, the, basically he plays physical, he plays bigger than he is, but he's also still six, five. And so, you know, like he, he, he can defend you pretty well at the point of attack, run around with some guys, defend multiple positions and he fights like hell to get rebounds. It's just, He's only so tall, and when you're dealing with guys that are 6'8", 6'9", it's tough for him to keep those guys away from the glass. So there's kind of a trade off. But he ultimately kind of decided that they thought going smaller was the better move for them, allowed them more options defensively, and you know it also you know, allowed them to space the floor on offense. But they knew there was going to be a trade off when it came to re- when it came to rebounding. It's kind of gone from there. Um, and since they kind of committed to it, they have not gone back to uh, you know playing bigger lineups. When they initial played smaller lineups, they went back. Back to a bigger lineup to play Cleveland. Uh, I think it was December sixteenth uh, when they lost that game. They, they did have Jalen Smith in there as a starter, and that would that's probably one of the last times they had Jalen Smith as a starting four. So since they've really committed to this smaller lineup, they've looked at Smith as more of a, as a backup five. And now all of a sudden they have three backup fives, so and it's not necessarily there any more uh, that they're not thrilled with him or they don't like what they're getting from him. They've just sort of committed him to being that, and now they have a clog at that position. And it, it really it it starts where they feel like Neesmith earned the minutes. Uh, you know, it's not that they thought they weren't super thrilled with what they were getting from Smith, but they just liked more what they were getting from Neesmith. Um, and but it, it ultimately has put them in a bind where they don't really have true power forwards. They have threes playing the four, both Neesmith with the first unit and Brissett with the second unit. Uh, and then you have all these guys now that are back up at center, and some of those guys just aren't getting minutes. And so it's leading to, you're having smaller lineups, and you're having bigger guys that aren't really playing. And it is starting to look a little bit, you know, kind of questionable as you keep watching it, and you see issues when it comes to rebounding.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Pacers Heat Wednesday at 7 o'clock down in Miami. Pacers Suns on Kentucky Waterfall at night, coming up on Friday at Cambridge House and then the Pacers and the Wizards Saturday. The second of that back-to-back is in uh, Washington, 6.30, your pregame coverage right here. It's Dustin DePurek covers the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. Always a pleasure. Stay on top of it. We'll get back with you if anything pops during the trade deadline. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if
2: Cascali is right for you.
1: Jake Query, The Morning Show. Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. here on the Fans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Is there anybody that is more of a talented pain of the ass than Kyrie Irving in sports.
0: No. I mean, you could maybe say when he was still playing before the the evil side of it won out, you know, Antonio Brown, maybe. But Kyrie Irving is, I was just talking to somebody about this last night. I mean, he's a highly intelligent guy. I mean, if you look at his background, it's really fascinating, his, his upbringing and his, you know, his parents are intelligent people, but I I don't know what the deal is with that guy, but I wouldn't want him. I mean he's a he has a tremendous talent. There is no doubt. There is there are a few people better off the dribbling with the basketball than that guy. But at some point, some friends, you know, at some point he's gonna run out of franchises willing to take a risk and can be convinced that they're the one that's gonna straighten him out. Because it's not gonna end well. I mean it's whether he gets into it with Luca or he just interrupts the chemistry there or he spends too much time in Daily Plaza with conspiracy theories, I have no idea, but it ain't going to end well. Guarantee it. So Great player.
1: Jake Query in the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on the fan, too. Skivvy's just asked me this my thoughts on Daniel Tice so far. And while I understand why they want to get him involved. He he looks most of the time out there in those high ball actions offensively the Pacers like he needs a map of some sort. Do you think somebody can provide him with a map?
0: Uh, I would agree with that. I was very intrigued to see what he could do. Uh, I still am. but And I think that they like the thought of him adding a little more bulk and just kind of nastiness a little bit um, and tenacity. But he definitely looks like a guy that had not played in a while. He's had moments. He's had flashes where he looks okay. Um, but clearly and the team that, that has a pretty good cohesiveness, my understanding is when he came here, uh, you know I think he wasn't overly thrilled to be traded to here. not nothing against Indiana. I think he just really liked where he was. Um, but he has meshed in from a personality standpoint and shown him you know in that regard now that he's healthy, it's just a matter of how long it's going to take him to on the floor get used to everybody. but it's been a slow, moments glimpses but it hasn't been anything of an immediate splash
1: what do you make of that story oddly enough i had miles on last week we talked about the on the floor aspect of what took place in memphis not knowing what took place afterwards and you know the story was described as a group including john morant um uh, evidently addressed emphatically with a laser pointer part of the traveling party of the Pacers last Sunday when they were down in Memphis. And I, I was thinking, all right, I know laser pointers two different ways. Um, Obviously a laser pointer on a gun. And then we have a laser pointer at home that my kids put on the floor and Zeke the cat chases it. Which one do you think it was or either or neither? What do you think?
0: I know that years ago, Reggie Wayne told the story about playing at West Virginia and they were in the huddle and somebody was shining a laser pointer on the quarterback right. and they're like, whoa, I'm sure that was more the cat variation. Um, <laughs> the report is, you know, we have yeah. Bob Kravitz on this morning and, you know, they were told that it was from a, a security guard for the Pacers apparently said it was from a gun. Um, but, you know, the NBA investigated. I think it just comes down to this all began apparently with Andrew Nimhardt on the floor, having words. I think maybe Johnson and Chris Duarte were involved as well, just kind of backing up their guy. And then this happens after the game as they're going to the team bus in the, you know, the bowels of the arena. I, you know, this is, here's the thing, John Morant, one of the most electrifying players in the NBA and certainly on the court has been an unbelievable story of his meteoric rise from obscurity into one of the most elite players in the game. But I think, unfortunately, he kind of loses the credibility when you base on precedent. And by that, I mean, you know, this is coming right on the heels of a very public incident where his entourage or his camp got into it with Shannon Sharp and you know, his dad's on the floor yelling at people. His dad's like a, like a, like an overbearing Little League parent. He's like LeVar Ball on steroids. I mean, the NBA is going to have to do something about it. And I know they investigated it, and John Morant kind of seemed defiant in his response to it. You know, you'll say, we'll see what happens from here. But if, in fact, it's a gun, I, you know, I don't know what the next step is. <laughs> but um, it's not a good situation, considering he's one of their stars and it puts the nba in a tough spot. He's a he's an unbelievable player on the court, but it's disingenuous for me to say that I know anything about him off the court other than the fact that I, you know, he is experiencing a fame and a spotlight that clearly he's never been in and not used to before.
1: Yeah, that is um if if all that has been reported about that, and I know Dustin Depierre is going to join me in the five o'clock hour and talk about, you know what they have at the star on that too. But if that's true, that's um that is so many levels, um and decidedly so deserving of being dealt with. I mean, you got, I mean, that's not just something where well we talked to the two. I mean, that's that's going further than just we we talk to the two sides and this and that. If Parts of that, all of that is accurate. You're going to have to deal with that and deal with that harshly. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it's – and, you know, I thought his – John Rance tweet about it was, like I said, kind of defiant, kind of angry about it. Um, if the story is, you know, not accurate, I can see why he would be defensive. But, again, we've got video evidence of the exact same group of people being involved in an incident – what two weeks before that where they're not you know they're not playing they're not on the floor what are they what are they doing down there being involved in it so um i don't know how the nba handles it i'm, I'm glad that that's up to someone else other than i but if if in fact that's true then yes it needs to be dealt with swiftly
1: so jay query of the morning show all right iu purdue Which side are you on? Obviously, we'll get to the fact that the rivalry game on Saturday was awesome. I mean, it really was. I know Boilermaker fans upset they lost and all that, but it was awesome and exactly the type of emotional infusion that it needed, especially coming from the IU side. But are you old and crusty on the point of what took place immediately following the game, or are you cool with what took place?
0: College kids are going to be college kids, number one. You know, admittedly, if court rushing was something that had been permitted or was allowed when I was there, I probably would have been leading the charge, right? Um, IU basketball, when I was a student there, was, was a different environment altogether because you had Bob Knight there. And for a long time, Indiana basketball and their fan base prided itself on the fact that everything was different. We're Indiana, we're different. We don't cheat. We don't have signage in the arena. We, we don't throw things on the floor. We don't rush the floor. Our coach might be boorish, but we as fans are not going to be. We're different. They're like the St. Louis Cardinal fans of basketball. And it's a different era. All that's different now. It's all different. Now you go and you know every single thing that, that Indiana fans once prided themselves on is different. And that's fine. I mean, it, it. in the end, it's a college atmosphere. It's for college students. You know, now you have students that are the majority of the lower level as opposed to basically the balcony and then the lucky 5% that got to sat behind the basket, sit behind the basket and that was it. So I get it. Um, all that said, I think it's funny that the ultimate compliment, truthfully, for Purdue is the fact that in five of their last six losses, I think it is, the team that beat them rushed the court. That says a lot. That tells you where you are as a program. I don't see people rushing to court when they beat Indiana. I think Rutgers might have done it. Nebraska might have done it. But for the most part, most teams, when they beat Indiana now, it's not worthy of ru- – Indiana should aspire to become the program that when they're on the road and they lose, the team – the other team's fans rush the court. But for the students to do it, I get it. I would have done the same thing if it was allowed back when I was a student. I think it looks a little silly now, but that's because I'm old. When I was a kid, I'd have done it all day long.
1: No, I'd have been right there. I'd have been right for anything. I mean, I'd, I'd have probably fallen down. But especially with a camera and social media, it'd be viral yeah. video city yeah. right here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, look I, at no me. Question. No question. I mean, it's just like Kentucky fans. Kentucky fans always pride themselves on, we don't storm the court at Rupp Arena. Well, first off, Rupp Arena is like a civic arena where the basketball court's like 80 yards away from the front row in the first place. And secondly, I guarantee you, Kentucky fans can sit here and say till the day is long that they're above that and they're better than that. Deep down, it eats them up because they'd love to do it just once. They'd love to, but they can't. They've built this aura about themselves where they can't rush the court. They'd love to do it deep down. They
1: gotta, you know what? They got to stop hiring guess, ushers that give that the that finger part. to people too. Did you see that story about the usher that was given the the finger, as they say down there, <laughs> the fanger. You can't have an usher that gives the finger to people, can you?
0: <laughs> oh, I think. <laughs> or was he just like?
1: Was... was it like Seinfeld? He's just like like pointing at the menu. Seinfeld. May- like maybe. That. Hey, there's where you're sitting right there. There's where maybe you're sitting. It's like
0: the... <laughs> Maybe it was like the guy on Seinfeld that flipped up Danny Tartable and he just simply had a cast on. Maybe that's all it was. Right? <laughs> Chased him all the way to Long Island.
1: Hey, speaking of Kentucky, I'm glad you brought it up. Are you going to get your Kentucky waterfall hat on Friday when the Suns are in town, courtesy of the Pacers?
0: I, I, I guess I get why the Pacers are again trying to – Expand their fan base, just like when they had training camp at the Centa Center in Cincinnati for a couple of years. I hope this isn't because they're trying to test balloon the Pacer fan base in Louisville. I don't think that's the case, right? It's weird, though. For those that don't know, they're 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 doing for college night. They're doing Pacer hats with the Kentucky that are blue with the Kentucky logo on the side of them, like they've done for IU and Purdue and the other schools. Uh, it's it's weird, though, right? Like
1: yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I look at it, you know, this way. <laughs> I look at it they're trying to trying as best they can to sell tickets. Where's Indiana State night? When was that?
0: Well, that's and, what I mean. Could they have done I mean, like
1: a split hat with Indiana State and Wake Forest when Memphis was here
0: for Jake LaRavia? I mean, you would have have thought, did they not do Indiana State at any point when Bird was running the franchise?
1: Well, that's the only reason people came, oh, when Bird was running the franchise. I remember back when he was a player, that's back in the day when the only reason anybody came to those games was to see
0: Larry Bird play. Oh, yeah. Hell, I went to a Pacers-Celtics game like around St. Patrick's Day, like 1984, the whole crowd was wearing green. And then afterwards, like, they, <laughs> yeah. one time I went and Bill Cosby gave a concert afterwards. I think I went one time and Cool <laughs> and the gang did a concert afterwards. <laughs> you saw Bill Cosby afterwards? Nice. Oh, yeah, All right. yeah. They, he, he did a concert after the Pacer game. Everybody went, they're like, yeah, we got to sit through this 21-61 team and see if Clark Kellogg drops 25 so that we can go to the concert afterwards. Yeah, I remember oh, those concert water days. He was out there running the point. It was brutal.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. I just make light of it because obviously Phoenix does. How many does Phoenix have, Kentucky player wise? I mean Devin Booker obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean he's the he's the big one. Um, I didn't even think about the fact that you've got Devin. I mean, can you imagine like this is like?
1: Well, that's the only reason, right? Is that is? I mean, it's like Donovan Mitchell yesterday was, you know, Louisville Hat Night, right?
0: It, the kid right in front of me last night was wearing a Donovan Mitchell Louisville jersey. And I'm like, man, this this poor kid, like he's five years old, and this year he gets, he, he gets a Louisville win for each year. He's been on the planet, right? Hey, uh, I'm looking here at the... Hey,
1: by the way, while you're looking, Jason Gill just tweeted at me and said, I saw Rich Little after one of the Pacer games <laughs> back in the wow. day. <laughs> Did he do his, his, his Ronald Reagan impression while he was out there, maybe? Well... I mean... <laughs> that's great rich little the impressionist
0: i'm trying to find the sun's roster but it doesn't list where they went oh, here we go here we go we're looking for kentucky players right yes Obviously devin booker yeah uh devin booker's the only one right
1: weird so does a lot of kentucky fans come up here to embrace devin booker when he comes up here once a i year?
0: guess i mean that's a That's an you would think there are teams in the NBA that have more than just one guy, right? Yeah. I would think. It's It's weird. It is weird. That's just
1: a a promotion that they do. But, yes, Kentucky promotion.
0: So. And listen, I've I've made no bones about it. When it comes to basketball – and I say this flippantly, but I hate Kentucky. So, I'm like Mike Davis. Mike Davis, when he's coaching in Indiana – Said, you know what, man, I hate Kentucky. And I remember thinking, like, well, Mike Davis is my spirit animal on that one. Do you hate the you state
1: know? or hate, like, the university you of?
0: Know, you know You know what's interesting, John? Growing up, I was a diehard IU fan. And so as a result, I hated Kentucky. And with all due respect to Purdue, Kentucky was the rival that I more hated than than Purdue. That was, to me, Indiana's number one college basketball rival was Kentucky. So as a result of that, I hated everything to do with the state of Kentucky. And then I became an adult and half of my buddies after college lived in Louisville. And we go down to Louisville a lot, which is a great town, had a lot of fun down in Louisville. And, you know, since then I've learned the Kentucky Derby, I have a great admiration and respect for the Kentucky Derby and my old Kentucky home, because it means for those people, what the Indy 500 means for us. And then I've had a lot of friends that have done the Bourbon Trail, and, and I went down and went to Secretariat's Farm down there where Secretariat is is buried and, and went through Claiborne Farms and all that. So as I've gotten older, I have a great appreciation for the state of Kentucky. It's actually a super cool state. But when it comes to college basketball, even though I think John Calipari is actually pretty cool, uh, I still hate Kentucky.
1: Did, uh, does Louisville, did they, do they have totally nude strip clubs?
0: They do. Did when my buddies were living there? Yes, I don't know if they still do. They had a. Do
1: you have to um, cover your a- eyes for that down there? You think or what? <laughs> <laughs> they end up blindfolded yeah. to the door.
0: They have they have drive through churches right across the street for <laughs> when you leave so that everything's cool by the
1: time you get home. <laughs> hey, Jake. Greg writes this: If a Kentucky fan is going to come all the way up here to support Booker, you probably don't need to give them a hat too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is true. That's that so is true. true. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Hey, coaching, coaching search for the Colts here. I'm, I'm going to read you this really quick. Uh, this report of, and you tell me what you believe this means to see just how stupid I might be. Are you ready? Okay. All right. The report is that the Colts are not, or blocking in this case, and hopefully their blocking is better than their offensive lines this year. Blocking. Um, any interview possibilities uh, of the lateral move variety for Gus Bradley presently? Now, I, what what, what's, what do you think lateral move means right there? I'll tell you how stupid apparently I am compared, especially if you get the right answer, but I'm curious. Lateral move means?
0: That they are prohibiting him from interviewing as a defensive coordinator for another franchise?
1: See? I said, I said. Well, if you think about this laterally, right, Jake? If you think about it laterally, so where is he going to? Where could he play? What? Chicago, Arizona, Houston? Where is he going to go? And then everybody was quick to point out, well, that's not what lateral means here. It means any assistant coach not under contract by the team. um, Let me see here. Uh, It means as a defensive coordinator, you're not allowed to interview as a defensive coordinator anyplace else what it means yeah my my lateral is no defensive coordinator anyplace else um if you want to get interviewed as a head coach you can but not as a defensive coordinator and my thought was it's a team that is equal to or worse than yours you cannot interview for well is that pretty stupid okay um that's not very bright is it it's a good effort i need to stop making fun of kentucky if i think like that
0: um, the, the the other, you know, you right. would think though that anybody that the thing that is curious about that, one would think, and assume, here here's what I, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat. If the Colts are prohibiting other franchises from plucking away Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator, one would assume that any coach that they bring in as a head coach from outside the organization is going to bring with them their own staff if they are prohibiting gus bradley from interviewing for defensive coordinator positions elsewhere that means that they have not ruled out the possibility that there is a coach that would bring with them gus bradley as the defensive coordinator and the only on that list that i could think of and maybe some of those in maybe some of the coaches they've talked to have said they really like gus bradley and would be fond of working with him and certainly their defense last year was not their issue but that also tells me that Jeff Saturday would still be in play so what do you think I I don't know which I I don't know who maybe some of the coaches that have interviewed have said hey on the defensive side of the ball there's nobody that I can think of that I would bring with me that will do a better job than what Gus did this year so I would be happy with that etc that's possible that's possible I guess
1: so basically what happens is yeah you have to in this case, be planning on bringing him back because if he can't interview someplace else, I mean when the coach gets here and goes, "Hey, I don't like you, I got my own guy now, good luck with you finding a gig
0: right i mean that's yeah that that's a that's a kind of a curious thing right it it seems unless they unless they're telling candidates listen, um if you want to come here, you're gonna yeah. you don't need to bring a d coordinator with you and if that's the case, maybe that's why a couple of guys decided to to go elsewhere. Hey, you
1: know? J- hey Jake, are you gonna wink for a wink in this case?
0: Hey, he's the he's the Vegas favorite now. You know that Wink right? for a wink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying I, I am I I think uh, make signs. You know, wink if you need help. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of endless possibilities. Uh, i told tr- you, <laughs>
1: Remember the, the Seinfeld wake when George had grapefruit pulp right, caught yeah, in his grapefruit. eyeball? Yeah.
0: That's right. Yeah. So as a result, uh, Kramer ends up taking the card to the kid <laughs> at the hospital. I, listen, I had a dream last night. I told Kevin and Mark this this morning. I went yesterday and got my. Uh, uh, which vaccine did I get? The one for shingles because I'm 50 now, so you got to get the shingles vaccine. No, oh, right? do I?
1: I'm 50. I don't think I've. Have you yeah. ever had shingles?
0: No, I don't want shingles. So is that I what uh, want, is that when
1: those so... bumps pop up near your armpits?
0: Yeah, it's supposed to be brutal, and if it gets uh, if it gets up near your eyeballs, that it feels like nails in your eyeball, and that did not sound fun to me. So I thought, okay, I'll get the, the vaccine. So I went and got the shingles vaccine yesterday, It's a two shot deal. I got the first shot. So I was fine, went to the Pacer game, all good, whatever. Last night at like 3 in the morning I woke up and literally I was wondering who dropped me in an ice tub. I started shivering like a fool. I wrapped myself in like nine blankets like a burrito and went to sleep and had some weird funky dream. And in my weird funky vaccine-induced dream, I had a dream that Aaron Glenn was hired as the head coach.
1: Oh, really?
3: hmm
0: That was my my side effect insert anti-vaxxer conspiracy theory vision that I had was that Aaron Glenn was hired as the head coach. Wow. So we'll see. Yeah.
1: I guess we will see. I, I didn't know I had to go get a shingles vaccine. I'm over 50. i I'm, <laughs> and, I'm a, That's a high wire act for me right now. I don't want to start chafing in my armpit, Jake. Come on.
0: Now, the other thing, the other one that they said to me that I was due for was tetanus. tetanus? And I said, well, I had a tetanus shot when I was like 10. And they said, well, yeah, you're supposed to get it every 10 years. Huh. I'm not like I'm not like juggling rusty nails or anything. And they said, Yeah, but if you get tetanus, it's possibly fatal. I said, Oh, okay, well I guess I should consider that too. But Man, you're up to date on everything. I'm I mean, not I, Listen, Bill Bill Gates has every possible tracker in me. Yeah, I I am I'm getting them all, baby.
1: Oh yeah. I know everybody knows where
0: I am too. <laughs> That's right. They're, 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 everybody knows where you are because you're moving only
3: laterally.
0: <laughs> you you how to go literally. elsewhere? <laughs> like
1: I don't know whether to, to laugh about that farther. or. <laughs> Rob says, "Get your shingles vaccine." By far, the worst thing I've had. Didn't sleep yeah, for I've a heard month.
0: It's I've heard it's brutal, man.
1: man I don't want any shingles. I just I thought that they were like they would break out near your armpit, but no, no they get up and around a your vaccine.
0: face. I'm telling you, that vaccine was no joke. Though I've never had a side effect from a vaccine ever, and I took that one I'm like, whoa. And
1: I'm watching The Last of Us on HBO right now, too. I don't want to end up looking like that.
0: I mean, I was like some fungus. There's some fungus among us, right there. I literally looked like a mummy about three thirty in the morning, <laughs> sitting there shivering, <laughs> dreaming about Aaron Glenn getting named <laughs> as the head coach.
1: I think if he gets named the next head coach, then it's only logical that you guys in the morning show get him before anybody else, right? Seriously. If you have a dream man. about that and it comes true, enough.
0: I will tell them, hey man, I had a vision. Then I'll so, go get, and then we'll see what my dream is when I get shingle shot number two. Can you imagine if I have the dream? You got to have two yeah. shingle shots? Yo yeah, oh yeah. What? Months, four months apart, yeah. Yep. Wow. I know. So I'm going to have to go through this one more time. All
1: right. I'm going to go get my shingle shots. I'm worried about that. I want that. <laughs> well, what you guys you got, have got working? What,
0: dreams you have.
1: what you guys got working tomorrow morning?
0: Uh, you know, we'll be talking about IU and Purdue still. Not only – I mean, obviously we're kind of past talking about the game from this weekend, which was great. But but now just looking forward to, to both teams that seem to be heading in the right direction and possibly ended up as the top two in the Big Ten. But Indiana's got a big one with Rutgers, and so we'll, we'll preview that and uh, talk about the Pacers as well as the trade deadline looms. You know, by the time we're on the air, we'll be about 48 hours from the trade deadline. So we'll, we'll talk about what might happen with that.
1: I started watching The Last of Us on HBO – it's kind of interesting. I thought it was kind of like The Walking Dead, just one of those Walking Dead, hey, zombies are among us after an apocalypse and don't let them eat you kind of thing.
0: But it's it's kind of
1: good. I liked you
0: know, it. At the, end, at the end, they revealed that The Last of Us is the one guy that got his shingles vaccine, John. See, that's that's the it's that's a, the key there. You got to go out and get yours.
1: It's an overtaking fungus that <laughs> rims. No, I don't right. want to be overtaken by fungus. So I'm going to yeah, go out no. and get that. Yeah,
0: okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, buddy, always a pleasure. Grab extra blankets when you do it. All right, we'll talk to you.